Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, underneath the seat in front of you there is a Bible. Um, and pull it out. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible home with you. It is our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Titus chapter 1, we're going to be looking at this morning our security as Christians. Our security as Christians. In 1976, there was an expansion draft in the NFL. And there was a player that played for the Washington Redskins under the coach George Allen at the time. He was my father-in-law, and um, my father-in-law was a the nickelback for the Redskins, and he was left unprotected because he had hurt his knee, and the Bucks, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the expansion team, picked him up. He said, I went from first place to worst place. And they went 0-14 that year. He was a starting free safety. And he said, going from the Georgia Allen Redskins to the McKay, John McKay Bucks was like day and night. And he said, what happened was the, the biggest difference, I said, what was the biggest difference? And he said, the biggest difference that I experienced was the fact that George Allen was always talking about being the next man up and being ready for that next thing. Like, are you ready? Because at any point, you could be thrown into the game. You've got to be ready. And everyone was trying to get ready. And as I think as we are growing and we are launching new campuses, as we're getting ready, as we're going to Williamsburg, we have to be ready to be the next person up. We're sending almost 200 people to Williamsburg that were coming here to Yorktown, that were fulfilling positions in the children's ministry, deacons, some elders, people that were serving in 45th Street, that were, were serving in different areas in the church that are now leaving, that we're sending up to Williamsburg. And now the question is, are we going to be the 0-14 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 1976, or are we going to be the Redskins or the Commanders? It's okay? So, it's the ne- listen, it's time to be the next person up. It's time for you and I to ready ourselves as we're getting ready. And so in Titus, the, the Apostle Paul's writing to Titus, and he is addressing this. It's time for you to develop. It's time for you to to, to get off the bench and to get in the game. So Titus chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, I'm going to read the entire chapter. And he starts with this idea and this concept of security for the Christian. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. 
Verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful game what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Now, verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Ouch. Ouch. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's truth. We thank you that it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask, Lord God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take this word and use it like a double-edged sword. Divide between our soul and spirit and our bone and our marrow. Help us not to be hearers of the word only, but to be doers of your word. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Communicate your word this morning, Lord God. Let every word spoken be your word, your truth. Lord God, help me to be careful as I teach your word and unpack this this morning. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Our security as Christians comes from Christ. Not what others say or do to us or what we say or do ourselves. Christ is our security. It's important for us to understand this in the foundation. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.19, the Apostle Paul writes, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. My, um, let me, let me, let me dive into this. There's three securities that God has given us as Christians. Our security is not based upon our health, how much money we have in our bank account. Everybody talks about security as a sense of that they have it and they've discovered the secret of it. But the reality is, as I was talking to pastors this summer in Ukraine, they thought they were secure too. And in a moment, the war breaks out. Missiles are flying and everybody's running for their lives. I talked to one soldier. He said he was a university student on one day. Two weeks later, he's on the front line watching his buddies get killed. Think about that. Security is not based upon our circumstances, Christian. It's not based upon what's done to us or what we do to ourselves. It's not based upon this life. The Apostle Paul's telling Titus, our security is based upon Christ. And there's three securities that God has given us Christians that Christ has, sec has secured. And what are they? The first one is the security of the gospel, verses 1 through 4. The security of the gospel. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing to Titus, who's a senior pastor, and he's writing to the church in Crete. And he says in verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. God, who never lies. Now, look over verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars. So understand, let me give you some background. In the Mediterranean, there's an island called Crete. And in Crete, it was a major port all in the Mediterranean that Roman ships, all sorts of ships would come through. And there was major commerce, lots of businessmen, lots of people trying to make a dollar. And the Cretans were not a very godly sort. In fact, all Cretans are liars is what this prophet said, and, and the Apostle Paul agrees with him. This testimony is true. He says they're evil beasts and lazy gluttons. And he says this testimony is true. And so the Apostle Paul is sending Titus to take these Christians and to put them together because they're, as, as the Apostle Paul says here, there I left you, verse 5, so that you might put what remained into order. So all the Christians are scattered and unorganized on Crete. And there's probably a lot of insecurity and what are we doing? And I thought we were Christians and what's happening? So the Apostle Paul sends Titus to be the senior pastor there and to establish and set up and strengthen the church. So he's writing to him. And there's these Christians and they don't know what to do and they don't know what's going on. And the Apostle Paul starts off to the church and to Titus and basically saying, I want to talk to you about the security of the uh, as our Christians. And there's the security of the gospel. 
And you're amongst a bunch of people that are liars and are horrible people, but I'm telling you, the gospel is secure. He says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, do you know that God adopted us as Christians? Now, some of you guys are like, okay, yeah, we were adopted, that's great. No, but if you were ever adopted... Maybe that has a little bit more meaning. In fact, I read the story of a man who was adopted, became a pastor, godly man. And he said, I was about two and a half, and my earliest childhood memory was my mother. See, he said his mom, his, his biological mom had died, and the dad was living out in the basically off the beaten path. And he had gotten word that there was a family that was looking and they couldn't have any children and they were looking for a child. And the dad basically called them and said, if you don't come get my son, two and a half, I'm throwing him out tonight because he looks too much like his mother. His dad was a drunk and hadn't taken care of him. Unspeknown, the parents didn't know that the boy for the last three days had been drinking toilet water to survive that he hadn't changed him, completely neglected him, was living in the bathroom, complete feces, barely could walk, couldn't talk, had sores all over his body, and was just a complete mess. The parents drove six hours believing that this was the child that God had given to them. Six hours they get there they knock on the door, and the father said, he's in the back. The, the dad said, he's in the back. They find the boy, and his parents told him this and re 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 replayed part of the story for him. And his mother told him that there were sores all over his body. There was poop and feces everywhere. He was malnourished. It, 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 was, it was the most pitiful sight. They didn't even know this, this child couldn't talk. He says, I couldn't talk. He said, I was pitiful. And he says, in my earliest childhood memory is my mother seeing me, running to me, picking me up in my filth and disgust and embracing me and kissing me as if I was a beautiful baby. Church, we were adopted by Christ while we were still sinners in our filth, in our feces, in our disgust. Christ adopted us, ran to us, died on the cross for us so that the wrath of God was poured out on him and not us so that we could have eternal life with Jesus Christ forever. That's what adoption is. And the apostle Paul is telling Titus that your security is found in the gospel eternal life, which God promised who cannot lie before the world began. Before the world began, God saw you in your filth and loved you and adopted you. Man, 
Is that not a beautiful picture? Is that not a beautiful picture of the gospel? Now, what's the gospel? The gospel, we should know it. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And what do we do with this gospel? We have to repent of our sins. And we're in a pretty poor state. Think about child. We're in a pretty poor state. We have to believe the message of the gospel. We have to believe that Jesus is God. We have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We have to believe that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And then we receive Christ into our life. We say, Christ, come into my life. John chapter 1, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Christ comes into our life and saves us, and no one can take that from us. He's adopted us. He's made us his children through his son, Jesus Christ, and there's nothing that we can do to where he would unadopt us. It's a beautiful picture. He's talking to Titus and he says, we have a common faith. To Titus, my true child in the common faith. And he had a, he had a love for Titus. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, he mentions, his, he mentions Titus' name nine times in 2 Corinthians. But he says, to my true child in a common faith. Meaning it's through the, co- the faith that we all have in common that unites us as brothers and sisters. It's not our bank accounts. It's not the color of our skin. It's not how smart we are. It's not what education we have. What unites us as brothers and sisters is the common faith that we possess. That we were all adopted. That we were all in sin. And that Christ loved us, died on the cross for us, and God the Father adopted us as his own. That's, that, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's where our security rests, Christian. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Look what he says. Grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ, our Savior. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. Through Jesus, our Savior, we have eternal life. Now, how... Does that give us security? It means that we have eternal life and no one can take it from us. That we can't take it from ourselves. That Christ keeps us in his family. And no matter how far we run or where we go or how bad we get, we're his children. Now, is he grieved over our sin? Absolutely. But he's never disappointed. Guess why? Guess why? That's really bad English, but guess why? He's not disappointed with us because God doesn't get surprised because he knows everything. He sees the beginning from the end. He's the first and the last. And he's there with us in our filth, and he's there with us in our, in our, in our joy, He's there with us when things are good and he's there with us when things are bad. He is with us because we are his. He's adopted us as his children. It's a beautiful picture. He's our savior. It's like playing Monopoly. I play Monopoly with my kids. My my younger two kids are really into Monopoly. Let's play Monopoly. They want to play all the time. They always want to be the car. I want to be the car, but they want to be the car. So I let them be the car. I end up being the iron or something. I don't know. 
Anyway, you could be the Iron Dad. Okay. But we go around and we're playing Monopoly and one time and I was I was really I was really doing well and I landed on chance and I got the get out of jail free card. And you just put it there next to your money, right? And then I got through I was going well and then I got thrown in jail. And my kids were so excited. They were like, it's not going to affect you, dad. It's totally not going to affect you because you got the get out of jail free card. My six-year-old was so excited. He's like, you got the card. You got thrown in jail. It's like nothing happens. Christian, you have the get out of jail free card because of the gospel. And, and, and every time the accuser of your soul comes against you and accuses you, just pull out the get out of jail free card. Nope, I've been saved. Been adopted. Been adopted. Throw down that get out of jail free card. Got the get out of jail free card. Yes. It's a beautiful thing. That's how we know the security of the gospel. The second thing that the Apostle Paul says to Titus here, and this is in verses 5 through 9, it's the, the security of the church, pastors and elders. There's a security of the church, pastors and elders. Now, I want to say this. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's in Caesarea Philippi. And if I could take you to Caesarea Philippi, there was this place that they would call the gates of hell. And Jesus does this teaching, and he says, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus takes care of his church and builds his church. In that, he wants us to be a part of that, and he does that in establishing the structure of his church to establish godly elders, pastors and elders. I believe that in this room, God is calling some of you, and you don't know it yet, to be pastors and elders. One of our pastors, the lead pastor of this campus, Cliff Bowen, he was in the law enforcement for years and years. Little did God know, little did he know, God knew, little did he know that God called him to be a pastor when he was done with law enforcement, and now he's a pastor here. We have our own training to be able to do that. Because I really believe that God has godly men and women to be a part of his church in leadership. Now, when it comes to pastor and elder, it's reserved for the husband of one wife. And his children are believers, not open to charge or debauchery. But he gives us a list in Titus chapter 1 of the security that was established in the church of pastors and elders. And so here's the characteristics of leaders, stewards, godly men to serve as pastors and elders in the church. There's 13 I wrote down. And I'll just go through them quickly. They need to be above reproach, not arrogant, Humble. When I read this list, I think of Pastor Sean. We are blessed. We are blessed. He is above reproach. He is not arrogant. He is humble. He is not quick-tempered or violent. He's peaceful. I sometimes like to stir things up. It's true. Pray for me on this. I repent quickly. 
My wife says, sometimes we're in a group and sometimes things are going really well and everyone's just talking about the weather. But I'm like, what's real about that? There's something real about this. It feels so fake. And she says, you just pull out a verbal grenade and roll it in the middle. And boom, it's politics or religion or what, like all the stuff you're not supposed to talk about, you want to talk about. I'm like, it feels more authentic that way, baby. She's like, repent. Peaceful, peaceful, not a drunk, sober-minded, not greedy, generous, hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, good reputation, holy, self-controlled, holding fast to the word of God, teacher of word and courageous. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out here. You have Paul is commissioned Titus to be the senior pastor, and then in verse 5 he says, I want you to appoint elders. Now, understand this. In the church, it's the senior pastor's job to appoint elders. The elders are there to protect the church, but it's the senior pastor's job to appoint them. The church affirms them. This is how Coastal is, is set up. And we have elders in, not in every town, although our goal is to have a gospel outpost in every town in Hampton Roads. We still got Norfolk and Portsmouth. Start praying with us. Virginia Beach, God has gospel outposts for us yet to go. Exciting, huh? And, and, and so anyway, so we have, he says that, I, that you appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, then he starts to give the list of this is what you're looking for in, in men to, to be these things, okay? Are these people doing this? An overseer. He kind of goes through this and he says, if there are many, now listen to what he says. They have to be able to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so they would be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We have a systematic theology that all of our elders and deacons go through. It's about this thick. It really is. Those of you that have it, it's massive. Okay? We take an entire year to go through this. Why do we do this? We do this... Because we want our church leadership to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. And being able to rebuke those who contradict it. One of the things that I teach my kids all the time is this. Silence is affirmation. When you, someone says something that's not true or ungodly and you sit in silence, all you're doing is affirming that. Church, we have been affirming godlessness in this country because we are not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how do I know that? Because my, my cousin is a pastor in California and he was at the gym and he was working out with this man who was in his 40s and this man had never heard the name Jesus Christ and he grew up in our country his entire life. That is to our shame. We as Christians ought to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when people are saying things that are ungodly, we, can, we don't have to argue, we don't have to fight, we just have to say, 
There's another alternative. My daughter in one of her classes, the teacher basically said, well, there's lots of ways to get to heaven. My daughter raises her hand and says, no, there's not. And then she sits back down. She wasn't arguing. She was just disagreeing. Because the person was saying, because understand this, if the world is steamrolling us with all of this this ungodliness, we have to be the voice that says there's an alternative lifestyle to the one that you've been forced into and his name's Jesus Christ and he could save you from your soul and give you eternal life. Because our security is in the fact of the gospel and the fact that there are godly churches that are still with godly men that are proclaiming on Sunday mornings the word of God. Because here's the deal, where are they going to turn when their life train wrecks? When the lifestyle that they've been told is right leaves them abandoned and without hope. I heard a stat, and I don't know, I don't, I, I, I'm very, after doing my PhD, basically I, all the stats I believe, I'm like, oh, they manipulate all of them. So it, it kind of makes me very skeptical. But I heard this stat, and if it's true, it should break your heart. That one in six transgender people have attempted or committed suicide. Church, this is not a political issue. This is a spiritual one. And we need to tell them that Christ can affirm them in who they are, even though they feel different, even though they, we have to be this alternative in this world Because sin leads to death and destruction. And if we don't stand up and say the gospel offers an alternative, then they're going to think this is the only way. No, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And he wants you, and he loves you, and he died for you. And he loves you enough to not leave you where you are. We're so quick to look at them as a political problem or issue. Instead of a spiritual one in which God wants to redeem. We need how, how, does, how does God make the security of church pastors and elders? A godly senior pastor picking godly leaders as elders provide a group to keep the ship steady in the storm. Men that are mature and capable who can speak to the furthering of the gospel and live in continual humble repentance about their sin and their sins of others not living in arrogant, unrepentant, habitual, and unconfessed sin. That's what God is looking for in leadership. 
And that's what the apostle Paul is telling Titus, find these men. Look at verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Apparently there was a party and they circumcised and it was bad. So that's bad. If you don't know what circumcision is, kids, go ask your parents. They must be silenced, say they're upsetting whole families by teaching shameful gain. Understand this, the church, the senior pastor, we don't have stock options. The elders, we don't get stock options. There's no, there's all the, all the money that, we, that comes in. You know what goes out the door as quickly as it comes in? That we're, that we're, we're feeding monthly three to 400 families. That, that we're, we're establishing gospel outposts, not just here in Hampton Roads, but all over the world. We're partnering with this chaplain from Ukraine and, and helping him and the churches that we have supporting in Ukraine? Why? Because they don't have anything and they're our brothers and sisters. And don't you think we ought to share with our brothers and sisters that don't have anything? And that's why we support a work in Zimbabwe. And that's why we support a work in Honduras and, and pastors and churches all over the world and in Thailand. And, and, and that's, that's why we, we take this. We, when we're done, we're done. We don't have any stock options to sell. We don't, have any, we don't have any other extra stuff. The elders don't get rich from this. There's no, we're not going to sell this church to somebody else and then take the proceeds. There's no business to sell. This is the church of Jesus Christ. We are the church. And it's up to us to further that this church here in Yorktown would last for the next 200, 300 years until Jesus Christ returns, that this church would be faithfully preaching the gospel, loving people, taking care of people, and showing them the alternative. And it's our responsibility to make sure we're leaving that for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. Well, church, they're just about my money. I mean, we don't, I don't care. God owns it all anyway. The Bible says that in Proverbs, in Psalms, Corey Tim Boone said this. So this is not new. She's a great woman of faith, that one of my heroes. She said, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. If he wants something to happen, he'll just sell a few of his cows. But he invites us to be a part of it. He invites us to actually be a part of the blessing of the church and the ministry of the church that he has. The security is still in Christ because it's his church, but he invites us to be a part. And that's why some of us that are here that are on the bench, we're sending like 200 people to Williamsburg. It's time for us to get off the bench and to get in the game. Next person up. Are you ready? I'm excited. Third security is this. Who can speak to the furthering of the gospel? The security of the word of God. What does he say? He says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so he'd be able to give instruction and sound doctrine. Then he kind of rebukes them and he says, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of the people. How do you get people, how do you teach people the riverbanks? What's the security that we have? The riverbanks of our faith is established through the word of God. 
okay? So if you come up to me and say, oh, God told me to tell you this, I'm going to slide the Bible over to you and go, where? Where did he tell you to tell me? Because this is the riverbanks of our faith. And if you say things that are contrary to the scripture, just know that silence is affirmation and I'm not letting it go. I'm going to love you and love you and love you with the truth of God's word. This is the word of God. And so the security that comes from the word of God is the fact that purity is essential. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. And then at the very end, look at verse 16. They profess to know God. He's talking about those that claim to be Christians in Crete. And he says, they, claim, they profess to know God, but they deny him with their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Basically, he's saying profession is nothing, only doing it. Shut that pie hole and do it. It's basically what he's saying. I like how Paul like bottom lines it for us. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. How? How is there security in the word of God? God's word speaks to the believer and the unbeliever alike. Ezekiel 36, the word washes us. John 3, 5, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the word provides us the riverbanks of life and the purity to which we are to live. Church, our security is not found in your health, your money, your investments, your stuff, because that can all go away in a second. Christ has given us his gospel, church, and the word of God for Christians. You know what's so great? You know why these are secure and they're never going to change? It's because Christ is the one who's protecting them and securing them. And he's all-powerful God. Mess with his church, guess what? Oh, you're, he's going to mess with you. You mess with his word, guess what? Oh, he's going to mess with you. You mess with his gospel, oh yeah, he's coming. Think about the word. For the last 2,000 years, we have the word of God. And we have first, second century copies of this. And it's the exact same word of God. The Dead Sea Scrolls, I don't know how much you guys are into, like I geek out about stuff like this, so just stop me. The Dead Sea Scrolls, they had found a complete copy in 1953 of Isaiah. Did you know they translated that word for word? It's the exact same words that we have today in our Bible. God cares about his word and the purity and protection of it. That's why we know these are secure foundations for us as Christians. And that's why as a church... Those are the things that we're holding fast to. As the worship team comes, I want to ask you the question, where is your security? What is your security in? What are you holding on to? My prayer is that it would be the gospel, that it would be his church, and that it would be the word of God. 
These are the three foundations that, that God has given to us for security. And it's my prayer that you, if you're, if you're here today and you're like, you know what, I've been on the bench too long, it's time for me to get off the bench, then get off the bench. If you're here today and you're saying, hey, you know what, um, I'm not saved, then you need to receive the gospel and be saved. If you're here today and saying, you know what, I'm professing God, but my works and my life are not demonstrating it, then you need to repent and you need to ask God, God, forgive me. I want to get back. I'm a part of your family, but I need to get back. We'll train you. We'll train you for the next campus. God, God is all about sending. God sent his son 2,000 years ago. In fact, in the Gospel of John, John, Jesus said 41 times that God had sent him. And in John 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. We're supposed to live our lives sent. Not come and just kind of take it all in, but to be sent. And so it's my prayer that you, wherever you are on your faith journey right now, that you would say, I'm taking the next step. Some of you maybe need to go through that big, thick, systematic theology book. Some of you need to say, you know what, I, I need to be an elder. Or I need to be a, a, a deacon. I'm ready to step up. What do I got to do? Some of you just say, I just need to grow. I don't know the word of God. I can't divide it. I don't speak up because I don't know what to say, even though I know that they're saying is wrong, but I don't know what to say. It's my prayer that God would allow us to just take that next step. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes right now. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. God, we love you. We just want to further the kingdom. We want the gospel to go out. God, you own it all. And we, we love you, and we, we love your church, and we love your word, Lord God. And, and so now I pray, Father, that you would empower your church, that you would empower us through the power of your Holy Spirit, to Father, to give and to serve and to love and to do good so that the world would know that you are alive God, remove those obstacles in our life that, that keep us that keep us from following you and serving you. God, we love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.